Hello and welcome to the Keep or Cut podcast. I'm your host, Chad Young. The bad news today is you've got me going solo. Pete is unfortunately unavailable to join, but I will do my best to get out something that's interesting and useful despite not having Pete's insights to help out. Wanted to talk a little bit about guys who are being cut right now. I was looking at some of my leagues and I've, I've, a couple times recently I've put in waiver claims on players who are cut, guys I want I thought, you know, doesn't make any sense to me if this guy's getting let go. Some of those guys are are not necessarily stars, may not be getting dropped in very many places. Like I just lost a waiver claim in an auto new league for Paul Blackburn. I just put in a waiver claim in a league for Tyler Malley. I don't think those guys are being dropped too widely. So I want to take a look at guys who are being dropped pretty widely, but might be interesting, especially for keeper leagues as we're thinking about who we want to hold long term. So we're going to go through four players who are being cut in a variety of different formats. I'll tell you where I got this data from as we go through each player. I've also got some great questions from listeners. We'll get to that in the back half of this as well. So to dive right in, I took a look at auto new data and Huascar Yanoa has been cut in more than half of auto new leagues within the last 30 days. And this is a guy who in the off season, everybody, it seemed like was in on this guy. He was hard to trade for. He was hard to get in auctions. And now he's freely available. And so started to wonder like, should I be picking him up in places where he was cut? Should I be trying to trade for him in places where he wasn't cut? Maybe his values really dropped that low. So I wanted to dive in and see what was going on with him. And honestly, the reality is he's just getting lit up. His hard hit rate is 65.2%. His average exit velocity is over 93. Guys are just teeing off on him. So last year, his slider was excellent. 39.5% chase rate, 39.2% whiff rate, both comfortably above average. This year, just 11.1% chase rate, 30% whiff rate. He's in the zone more with that pitch. It's tempting to think that maybe guys are just spitting on it, just ignoring it, given the low chase rate, but that's not exactly right because he's giving up 44.4% hard contact. That's 95 mile per hour exit velocities per plate appearance. Guys are chasing less, but they're swinging plenty when the slider's in the zone and they're doing a lot of damage on it, which wasn't really what happened last year. The four-seamer similarly getting a lower chase rate with harder contact. Sinker, which he didn't get great results on last year anyways, he's now using twice as much. He's got an inflated home run per fly ball rate, and it's sort of easy to point that and say like, oh, that'll come back down, right? It's sort of the XFIP logic that home run per fly ball rate tends to stabilize closer to league average, but he's earned it. He's getting hit harder. He's giving up a ton of hard contact. Overall, he's in the zone less, and guys are chasing less. So if you look at swing percentage by zone, right? How often are guys swinging when the ball's in a certain part of the zone or outside the zone? Hitters are absolutely attacking pitches in the zone and laying off out of the zone. That wasn't the case last year. If you go look at a heat map of where a guy swung, last year he got a ton of swings on pitches down and away to righties, right? So that's the area where that slider would dive down and away, get out of the zone, earn a chase, and it's not happening. They're just laying off completely this year. In AAA, since he spent some time back in AAA, the Ks are coming back, swinging strikes are coming back. It's hard to know how that'll translate. Like, is that evidence that he's fixed something? Or is that evidence that AAA is just easier? And it could be either. I'm sort of wondering if there's something he's doing that's tipping his pitches given the low chase rate. I mean, that 11% chase rate on that slider is just shocking, right? It suggests that guys are able to immediately identify this is a slider. It's not going to be in the zone and let it go. The fact that they're hitting it hard also suggests though they know it's a slider when it's going to be in the zone. Again, if that chase rate were way down and the swing percent were way down, right? If, If hitters were just straight up ignoring the slider, then it would suggest that as soon as they recognize the break on that pitch, they're going, forget it, I can't do anything with this, letting it go. But that isn't what's happening. 
So it, it makes me wonder if there's something that's making him a little too predictable, something that's allowing the hitters to identify, like, look, this slider is coming. Okay, this one's going to be in the zone, right? It's starting inside, so it's going to end up in the zone. Or to a lefty, it's starting outside, so it's going to end up in the zone, and I can hit it. Or this one's starting in the zone, so it's going to dive out of the zone, and I'll let it go. Because that seems to be what's happening, is they know where that slider is going to end up, and they know what to do with it. For now, I'm fine dropping Yanoa and waiting. I, I think he still has a lot of talent. But even in keeper leagues, I don't think, you know, he doesn't have ace upside to me. Because he doesn't have ace upside, I think it's okay to let him go. If someone else gets him and wants to sit through this rough patch, maybe they benefit, maybe they don't. But I'm, I'm okay with that. I'm okay taking that risk. If he does start to put together a couple good starts, a couple good appearances, look for that O swing, especially on that slider. If he's getting guys chasing again, if that slider is diving down and out of the zone and guys are waving at it, that is a really good sign, and that's where I would start to buy back in. But I want to see him do that. I'm just not willing to sit through and hold him on a roster through this rough stretch, even though I think he could have keeper value, because I don't think it's elite keeper value. Jumping to another pitcher, another young pitcher, guy who was really, really red hot in terms of pickups and fab for a while there, but is now the most dropped player at CBS recently. That is Matt Brash. Brash, the stuff is nasty. As expected, he has above average whiff rates on all of his pitches, but below average swing percentage on his fastball and his slider, leaving his curve is really the only pitch that's been effective in terms of getting swings and whiffs. And even that, I don't know, it's a little questionable. The Woba on his four-seamer is 462 versus a 415 X-Woba. The slider is a 431 versus a 353 X-Woba. So that's pretty bad at Wobas and X-Wobas in both those pitches. The curve is a 301 Woba, which is better, but a 352 X Woba. And league average Woba on a curveball is only 268. So even that 301, which makes it by far his best pitch, at least in terms of results so far, it is pretty bad compared to the league. The issue for him, which I don't think should come as a surprise, is that he needs to locate his pitches better. We we knew that he had great stuff. We knew that location might be an issue for him. And that's just sort of how it's played out. He's back in AAA and he's working out of the pen. It seems like the goal here is to help him get back to the majors more quickly. That is probably a good thing, but it does impact his value, especially this year. If he comes back and he's in the bullpen, I think how quickly you want to add him back or how excited you want to be adding him, maybe even how excited you want to be about using him might be the better question, is going to depend a little bit on format. So if he comes back and he's pitching out of the bullpen... In Fangraph's points leagues for Auto New, in leagues that are saves plus holds leagues, in leagues like Auto New 4x4 leagues that are that are save and hold agnostic where the rates matters but the other stuff doesn't, he could be an elite reliever in those formats. Like he could put up a ton of strikeouts per inning. He could put up really good rates. I don't know that he's going to get a lot of higher leverage innings, which might mean even in saves plus holds leagues, there's a little bit of risk there. I don't think he's going to have much of a shot at saves at all. And then there's the question of what he's going to be long-term and how you want to think about him long-term. I don't love keeping relievers, just in general. Now, elite closers in saves leagues, sure. Elite relievers in Fangraph's points leagues for auto new that are on low prices, yeah, I could see that. And so if you have Brash and he ends up turning into an elite reliever and he's like, you know, a couple bucks in an auto new league, he's a cheap closer, and we think he's going to get that closer job in Seattle, which I think is a long shot, then yeah, you could see, I could see keeping him and that may make you want to hold him a little bit longer. I just, 
I don't think that's what it's going to be. I think that he's likely to get some time in the pen. Then they're going to try to transition him back to the rotation. And basically what that means for me is at this point, he's back to being a prospect. Not just while he's in AAA, but this entire time that he's in the bullpen, which probably is going to be a while after he comes up, maybe even the rest of this season. I think you have to treat him like a starting pitching prospect. He's not a guy you're counting on for production this year. He's a guy you think you're going to get value from next year. The talent is real. And if he can put it together and he can figure out this location thing, I mean, if you, if you look at what he had done sort of game by game this year, his first start against a, a, a good Chicago White Sox team in a tough park to pitch in on the south side, he went five and a third innings with six strikeouts and just one walk. And that that made him effective, right? Two earned runs, four hits with that one walk. He did give up a home run in that one. But other than that home run, that's what you're looking for out of him, right? More than 10 strikeouts per nine, just the one walk. Great to see. Since that start, 13 strikeouts against 15 walks. If he can figure out that control, if he can start getting the ball in the zone more often, if he can start to get guys to chase more often, which will come with getting the ball in the zone, right? So again, that first start, his zone rate was 43.5%, which you know, not great, but it, it's something. And he got 39.6% chase rate. Since then, he's been down to 38.9% in the zone and just 21.9% chase rate. Guys are, are being much more patient. They swung at 50.6% of the pitches in that first start, just 36.6% since then. And, and I think this does all come down to throwing first pitch strikes. He did that 81% of the time in the first start, allowing him to get ahead, allowing him to use that nasty stuff to get those chases. Since then, he's only been a 58.1% first pitch strike. And it's been going down start by start. He was only 50% in his last start. This is what I'm looking for from Brash, is I'm looking for him to be in the zone more often, to get out in front of hitters where his stuff, even when it's not in the zone, can get chases and get whiffs. But in terms of whether I'm keeping him or holding him right now, it's really, really format dependent. In auto new, where I can keep him as a prospect, I still think he's one of the best pitching prospects in baseball, and I would still treat him as that. In, like, I, you know, I play in the CBS Keeper League that I've talked about on the show before. I don't really have room to hold prospects on my active roster there. We have some minor league spots, but you can't just put a guy in those. And I think if I had him there, I'd be dropping him. So I think that's what I'd be doing. And again, what I'm looking for for him, better control, better location on his pitches, being in the zone more often and being in the zone more often early in the count, getting out in front of guys. If they're not going to swing, throw strikes, get ahead, put them away. That's what Brash should be able to do. And we need to see him do it more before we can really use him and, and in shallower formats or leagues where you don't have, you know, a 40 man roster to play with. That's probably what you need to do to even roster him at this point. Looking at a couple hitters, the fifth most drop player on Yahoo recently. And the second most on ESPN is Jesus Sanchez. Jesus Sanchez through his first 57 plate appearances up through April 23rd had a 192 WRC plus just insanely good production for those 57 plate appearances since then. 45 plate appearances and a negative one WRC plus. That is about as extreme as you can get in roughly 50 plate appearance samples. But remember, they are just 50 plate appearance samples, right? Neither of them are particularly meaningful. And so you've got to figure out what to take from this. So what's changed? So one thing is that he is swinging a lot less. And that's brought his swing strike rate down, which is good. But the problem is pitchers are in the zone to him all the time, especially recently. And so he's just taking strikes instead of getting walks, right? So, you know, guy gets more patient, starts taking more pitches. You want to see him walking more. And even if he's striking out more, 
you, you can accept that, right? You can accept an increase in strikeout rate if it comes to an increase in walk rate and is an intentional decision to be more selective about what pitches he swings at. That's not what Sanchez is doing. He's just taking strikes. The bigger issue, however, and I think this is really what it comes down to, is that pitchers have adjusted. During the hot streak, he was seeing 50.5% fastballs, right? So more than half the time, just more than half the time, but still more than half the time he was getting fastballs. Since then, fastballs are at 36.5%. He's getting a lot more breaking stuff, and he straight up can't hit it. The league average whiff rate on sliders is 31.7%. He's at 35.7%. The league average whiff rate on curves is 27.7%. He's at 45.5%. League average Woba on sliders is 293. He's at 106. On curves, it's 268, and he's only at 253. But he's just a 208 X Woba on curves. So he's still below average with a 253 Woba on curves, but even that is sort of punching above his weight given that X Woba. And this isn't new. This these were these pitches were problems from last year. He's had issues swinging through breaking stuff. And to be honest, I'm not sure why pitchers were throwing him so many fastballs early on. Maybe it was just noise. Maybe it just happened to face pitchers who are fastball heavy for those first few games. You know, again, it was just 57 plate appearances, but clearly. He's not going to see that many fastballs going forward, and he can't do much with the breakers. What does he do about this? I, I don't know. I think he needs to get more aggressive about hammering fastballs when he does get them. Like, you're only getting him a little over a third of the time. You better recognize him and smash him when they're in the zone because that's really what he's going to have to do if he's going to be successful. Either that or he's got to figure out how to make better contact with the breaking stuff. And, you know, he's only 24. It's not like the... You know, the game has passed him by and he can't possibly fix that. Like, he's still at a point in his career where he can make that kind of change. But man, I'm not sure how much I believe he will at this point. So if you're asking me what to expect going forward, I mean, the truth is probably somewhere in between that hot streak and that cold streak. His Woba on the year is 312. His rest of season zips projection is 313. Steamers at 320. The bats at 311. Like, that's probably about where he is. The hot streak was a hot streak. The cold streak's a cold streak. He's he's useful, but not much more. And, and so I'm fine dropping him. I don't think he's going to be a guy who proves to be a keeper. If he starts to get hot, what I'd be looking for with him is, is he having more success with breaking stuff and off-speed stuff? Has he made an adjustment? And more success, by the way, doesn't necessarily mean, have to be, mean he's hitting them more. If he just straight up stops swinging at breaking stuff and is really focused on hammering fastballs and that's working for him, that could be interesting. If he starts hitting the breakers, hey, that's even better. But until something like that happens, he's just sort of a end of roster, bench fodder, a guy you can slot in once in a while. He's not a guy you want to rely on, and he's not a guy I think is in the conversation as a keeper, almost regardless of the depth, at least for now. That could change. He's super talented. He's still only 24. It is, it's way too early to give up on him. But I'm not jumping to go get him either. Where he's been dropped, I'm happy to let him sit on the wire. In deeper formats where you've got, you know, an auto new 40-man roster, you got 30 man on your 30 players in your roster, you're in a 15-team league or an only league. Yes, you should add him. But I still don't think the long-term value is real high. I still think he's sort of an end of the roster type. He's the kind of guy who's probably gonna get added and cut more as this season goes on. When he's hot, ride the hot streaks. When he's cold, let him go. And again, watch what he's doing with off-speed pitch, and or sorry, watch what he's doing with breaking pitches, because that's going to tell you if he's actually made some changes. Last guy I want to talk about before answering some questions from listeners. The seventh most dropped player on ESPN right now is Andrew Vaughn. 
this is an easy one. Don't don't do that. Don't drop Andrew Vaughn. Just just don't. It, it's a bad idea, particularly in keeper leagues. He's got this bruised hand. He had a cortisone shot. He might be out a little while. Like, yeah, that's fine. Find a way to stash him. Put him in an IL spot or something. If you don't have an IL spot, like I'd be willing to let him sit on my bench. I mean, you look at what he's done. Last year, he was asked to jump from high A, where he'd been very successful, all the way to the majors after not playing in 2020 because of the pandemic. And, you know, he wasn't great, but he held his own. He had a 306 WOBA. Uh, that, that translates to about a 94 WRC plus, so like just below average offensively for a guy who really was being asked to learn on the fly. Then he comes out this year and he's still walking over 8% of the time. He was 8.7% last year. He's 8.3% this year. He's dropped his strikeout rate from 21.5% last year to 15% this year. And given where he was in the minors, right, he started off in rookie ball at 18.8% in a a very small sample, brought that down to 17.5% in A ball, 13.5% in high A. He's going to strike out more than that in the majors, right? It's not a surprise that he's striking out more against MLB pitching than high A, but he showed a really clear progression in 2019 of adjusting, of growing into the professional game, of dealing with more challenging pitches, and bringing that strikeout rate down. So it's not a huge surprise to me that he brought it down this year. And if you look at the projections rest of season, you know, the bat has him at 18.9%, steamer at 20%, zips at 21.3%. I'll take the under on, certainly on zips or steamer. Like, you, you give me an over and under at 20%, I'm definitely under 20 I think he is more than capable of controlling the strike zone better than that. And and the reason is that that strikeout rate is down, not just because of noise. He's actually doing the things you want to see a guy do to avoid striking out. Despite the fact that pitchers are in the zone more and throwing more first pitch strikes on him, so he's falling behind more often, his chase rate is down from 32.1% to 26.9%. His zone swing is up from 64.4% to 66%. His contact rate is up from... 78% last year to 85.8% this year. Now it is down in the zone from 90% to 87.1%, but 87.1% zone contact rate, right? That's not that's not something that we're going to be stressing about, or at least it's not something that I'm stressing about, right? If I go look at last year and look at our top zone contact percentages, 87% would put a guy right in the top right outside the top 50 out of 132 qualified hitters. Right, so middle of the pack. Again, not elite, not great, but not something to be stressed about, not something that I'm worried about. And given Vaughn's history of making adjustments, I think that'll probably come back up. He's also right now making contact outside the zone on 83.3% of pitches. Like This is a guy who is capable of putting the bat on the ball. It's not a huge surprise. He had incredible grades on his hit tool as a prospect. Like He's going to put the bat on the ball, and even if he stays at that 87.1%, I'm just not that worried about that. That's not a problematic level for him to be, but again, I think it'll go up. He's also this year hitting the ball hard more often. His barrel rate's up. His hard hit rate is up. His X stats support what he's done. He's got a 410 Woba and a 447 X Woba. Now, we know that this year Wobas are lower than X Woba sort of overall, but that suggests that there's nothing about that 410 that's that's fluky. He's earned it. Again, that X Woba, not predictive. So it's not easy to say like, oh, well, he's going to keep doing this. But I don't see anything in his profile that suggests he won't. His home run per fly ball rate is 21.1%. That doesn't seem crazy for him. His bat pip is 275. If anything, I think that could go up a little bit given his ability to make contact. 
He's running an 18.2% line drive rate. I expect that'll go up before it goes down. So everything I look at with him, you could argue that the K rate's not sustainable, you know, at 15%, but I don't think that's going to go up a whole lot either, given what he's done in terms of his plate discipline. So don't cut Andrew Vaughn. If he's been cut in your league, as he has been in all these ESPN leagues, go get him. And in keeper leagues, like if you're only keeping two or three, maybe even four, maybe he doesn't make the cut for you. If you're in a keeper league where you're keeping more than that or where there's a price on your keepers based on draft position or something like that, you can almost put his name down in pen at this point. Like He will be a keeper. He is, for sure. If his price is too high, fine. That'll happen some places. But in general, yeah, I, I, I want Andrew Vaughn on my team now. I want him on my team for the future. Go get him if you can. And if you have him, please don't be one of these managers who's dropping him because you're going to you're gonna regret it. All right, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we'll answer some listener questions. Hey, Alex Fast here, and thanks for listening to this podcast on the Pitcher List Podcast Network. If you're a fan, consider supporting all of us by getting a PL Plus subscription where you're going to get an ad-free website and get access to our Discord where you can talk to all of our podcast hosts and staff. Plus, you can hang out with our incredible Pitcher List community. It's basically a baseball sanctuary year-round for as low as $8 a month. You can sign up at PitcherList.com backslash plus, and you're going to get your first month free with promo code podcast. Also, don't forget to check out everything else we do as well from YouTube videos, live streams, newsletters, off-season articles, TikToks, breakdowns, over 15 baseball podcasts on our network. We can't stop talking about baseball even during the off-season. So sign up for PL Plus today at pitcherlist.com backslash plus and use promo code podcast to get your first month free. All right. Thanks for listening. Let's get back to the show. Welcome back. Our first question comes from at Hamilton Porter on Twitter. He asks, in auto new head-to-head points leagues, how do you figure out best what your team is lacking, what your strengths are? How do you go about fixing issues? So this is an interesting one, right? In a traditional Roto League, you you can look at categories, right? You can look at the standings and be like, oh, I'm doing really well in home runs and really poorly in RBIs and average, or I'm doing really well in home runs, but really poorly in stolen bases. And like, now I know what I need to do to improve. That's less clear in points leagues and maybe even more unclear in head-to-head points leagues where things vary so much week to week. For me, th- there's a couple of things I do. One is I will go, and I'm going to do this right now. We're going to do this live on air. I'm going to go to my head-to-head points league and, and poke around. So the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to go to the roster organizer. And on the roster organizer... I'm going to go through and I'm going to set what I think is sort of my everybody's playing. I'm not worried about pitching matchups. Just who are the guys who are in my lineup? Who are the guys who are on my bench? And the first thing that will jump out to you as you're doing this, at least jumps out to me, is this moment of like, it's like I'm looking at my team in League 13 right now. And some of these choices are easy, right? Salvador Perez is my catcher. CJ Crone is my first baseman. I've got Cattell Marte, who's been pretty bad as my second baseman, but he's been better lately and I'm not worried about him. Xander Bogarts, Francisco Lindor, my shortstop and middle infielder. Lindor's actually been down after a hot start, and so might be something to keep an eye on. First position I get to where I'm a little, I don't know, nervous is the right word, but I look at, I've got Chris Bryant or Cabrian Hayes as a third baseman. Hayes has been good, and so I'm, I'm probably fine with him, but I expected more from Bryant, and Hayes, while he's been good, is not a big power hitter. 
which plays down a bit in this format. And so, okay, that that's a spot that I might need to think about. As I look at the outfield, Kyle Schwarber's been really good. Nick Castellanos has been really good. Connor Joe has been really good. And then I get to my fourth and fifth outfielders, and it's like, okay, if Bryant's not my third baseman, he could go there, but he's been bad. Jesse Winker hasn't been particularly good, but I'm sure he'll be fine. Then I've got like Garrett Cooper, Dalton Varsho has been been solid, AJ Pollock, Brad Miller. Like, there's a lot of questions here. And so as soon as I get to a point like that where I'm like, oh man, this this position feels weak. I don't know who I want to go here. I'm looking at their points per game, and, and it's concerning to me. That's where I start to think, okay, I've got a problem here and I need to adjust. The other thing I will do is I will look at my lineups page. And on the lineups page in Autonew, there's a little drop down below the word position players. It appears again below pitchers where you can filter what stats you're looking at, look at different splits. And I'll, I'll switch that off into in lineup. Because one of the things that, that is missing from a player's overall points per game is, you know, am I platooning them effectively? So just as an example... I can go here and see that Brian Hayes, well, he only has a 5.17, I think, points per game. Overall, he's 5.39 in my lineup. That's a little better. And that's good to know. And that makes me feel like, okay, I can I can use him effectively. Garrett Cooper, who I think of as a platoon guy that I that I can make smart choices about when to use him, is only 3.66 points per game in my lineup, which means I'm not using him very effectively, which is concerning going forward. So as I look at stuff like that, it, it helps me to sort of figure out like, Am I, do I have guys I can use effectively? Similarly, if I look at my pitchers and I look at when they're in my lineup versus when they're not, it's like Mitch Keller, I know has been sort of up and down, but his points per inning pitch when he's in my lineup is bad. And because it's bad, I know that I'm not able to use him effectively. I'm not able to figure out when he's going to have good starts and when he's not. And so that's going to be a problem. And so I can't really rely on, on Mitch Keller, which maybe I should have known already anyways. So I, I start to look at that and it's like, okay, now I can start to piece together between what I did on the roster organizer, what I just did on the lineups page. Who am I confident in? Who do I feel at least confident that I'm using them the right ways? And that'll help me identify where I look at my lineup and think like, I don't have somebody I want to put into this spot, whether it's third base, my fourth out, fourth and fifth outfielder spots, my middle infield spot that I'm super uncomfortable with. The nice thing is you can sort of stop there in points leagues because you don't have to worry about having the right balance of different stats and things like that. You can basically say like, look, my fourth and fifth outfield spots at my third base are are questionable and I need to go out and upgrade those. And then you can go about doing that. Find a trade, find a free agent, whatever it is. With pitching, rather than looking at, you know, do did I have an empty spot or do I have a spot I'm not comfortable with? I'm more looking at if I look at my, let's say, eight pitchers, nine pitchers, 10 pitchers, whatever it is, do I feel confident I can fill out my nine or 10 or whatever it is starts per week in a head-to-head league? So this is where head-to-head differs from season-long points because in a head-to-head league, you're going to have a a limit of some kind on your starting pitching. You either limited, you either have unlimited starts, but only two starting pitching slots, or you have a limit of like somewhere between eight and ten, I think, starts per week, depending on your league settings. My league is at nine. I know others are at ten. At that point, what I'm doing is I'm breaking my starting pitchers into guys who I will start every time out. Right. So I'm looking at my roster right now. I've got Julio Urias, Brandon Woodruff. Zach Wheeler, though he's on the COVID IL right now, um, Sean Manaya, honestly, Alex Cobb. Like, these are guys who I'm just, they're they're not, I don't know if I'd say they're matchup proof. Like, maybe they get a start at Coors. I'm like, eh, never mind. But in general, I'm just throwing those guys in my lineup every time out. Then I have guys like Paul Blackburn, Ian Anderson, boy, Dylan Bundy, who I probably shouldn't have, Mitch Keller, who I already just said I probably shouldn't have, 
who I, I'm less confident in, and I'm 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 playing matchups with them. I'm using them occasionally. And what I want to be basically able to do is look at this and say, okay, between Urias, Woodruff, Cobb, Manaya, and Wheeler, when Wheeler's healthy, let's assume that Wheeler's back soon. I've got five starting pitchers who I'm confident using every time out. They should, between them, give me something like six starts per week, right? All of them are going to start one. On an average week, one of them will probably have two starts. Maybe occasionally I get more than that. But I'm going to get five, six starts. Let's call it six or seven starts from them. That means I need two to three starts from someone else. So now I start looking at my roster and go, okay, Mitch Keller, Ian Anderson, Dylan Bundy, Andrew Haney. Like, do I feel like I'm going to get two to three starts from those guys? And, and honestly, uh, Hamilton Porter, I'm going to thank you for asking this question because the answer is no, I, I don't. And so I've got to do something about starting pitching in this league. I, I need more pitching depth um, or I need different pitchers, right? And, and so... You can start to piece together, at least for me, you can piece together what works and what doesn't that way, right? If I have eight pitchers in a nine-start league that I'm willing to start every time out because I've got good pitching depth, great. I don't need a ninth. I don't need a tenth. I'll just roll with that and I'll replace guys as they get hurt because the reality is eight good starting pitchers that you start every time out should give you 12, 11 starts a week, 10 starts a week, 11, something like that. So I feel good about that. If I have 12 starting pitchers and I'm only confident using any of them half the time, then I don't have enough pitching depth. So that's how I try to look at my pitching is dividing them between guys who I'm starting every time, guys who I'm starting sometimes, and then figuring out if I can piece together the nine to 10 starts per week I need to feel good in a head-to-head matchup. So hopefully at Hamilton Porter, that helps you understand sort of how I go about figuring out what the gaps are in my head-to-head lineups. So jumping to our next question, this one comes from at John Coke 2 Also about head-to-head Fangraphs points leagues, John is in one of those leagues that has a 10-game started limit per week. And he's uh, maybe getting ahead of himself, maybe just confident. What have you found most important for your roster construction heading into playoffs? Thinking about how to trade once teams decide they aren't competing. So you are absolutely right to be thinking about what to do when teams stop stop competing because you want to buy. Um, I don't know about you. I'm not ready to think about my playoff roster construction yet. I'm more thinking about making sure I get into the playoffs. Uh, but that that will depend a lot on, you know, if your team is really strong already, if you're in a league that has a deep playoff format where almost everyone's going to make it, like there may be reasons for that. So in a 10-start league, it, it's really, it, it starts with the same thing I just was saying in answer to Hamilton Porter's question about how I think about my pitching, right? I want to make sure that between, you know, the guys who I'm going to start every time out, who I can maybe count on for 1.2 starts per week or something like that. And then the guys who I can only maybe start every other week or twice every three weeks, something like that. Do I do I feel confident that I'm going to get my 10 starts per week? The way I want to handle that in a head-to-head league as I get ready for the playoffs is to really strengthen my offense. And I know that seems sort of weird when I just said I'm worried about how many, you know, can I get enough starts out of pitchers and blah, blah, blah. But what I want to do is go into those playoffs feeling like my lineup is set. I don't need a ton of depth. I can just plug in my guys. Like, let's go back to that roster I was talking about before. Being able to go and say like, okay, I feel really good going into the playoffs that Salvi's my catcher, that Crone's at first. My middle infield is going to be Marte, Bogarts, Lindor. My third baseman's going to be Hayes. Let's say I feel good about that by then. 
And then I've got, you know, Schwarber, Castellanos, Winker, Connor Joe, and then a couple other outfields I feel good about. I've got Chris Bryant as my util. Like, if I feel really strong about that and feel like I can plug that lineup in every day, no matter the matchups, no matter what's going on, then that allows me to play around with the end of my roster to get pitchers where I need them. And that could be streaming, right? You get a couple injuries to your pitchers or guys get pushed back and all of a sudden you need pitchers late in the week. I want to have spots I can use to to manage that. So like in the playoffs, one of the things I'll do is on like Wednesday or Thursday, unless I'm way ahead, right? I'm, you know, I've got nine starts in that league and I'm, I've used up seven of them by Wednesday. I'll go look at who's supposed to start Saturday and Sunday and have a couple of roster spots I can play around with to add guys who are going to start Saturday and Sunday. Even if I don't think they're good, even if they're not matchups I love, because you want to have somebody you can throw out there. You don't want to leave. Like, the worst thing you can do is leave a start empty. And so for me, I'm always trying to make sure my offense is really strong going into the playoffs so that I can play around with the back end of the roster to make sure I fill out my game started. Right? Even, even if you don't have guys push back, even if you don't have injuries, which you probably will, you're going to run into that one week where you're five, I use them every single time out starters, none of them have a second start that week. And so you only get five out of them. And your other five guys who you usually count on for, you know, four starts between them or three starts between them all have bad matchups and you can't really start any of them. Like that might happen. And if that happens, you need to have the flexibility on your roster to go pick up the best options you can find. And remember, you know, in not a new league where you got 40 man rosters, like, it can be hard to do that. It can be really thin at the back end of the pitching pool. So you want to have the flexibility to play around, to be able to bid. That also means having cap space available, right? Having cap space available in the playoffs in head-to-head, I think is crucial because if you don't, you can't play that game. The other thing I'm doing is I'm watching my opponent closely. I don't want my opponent doing the same thing. So like, even in a situation where, you know, Let's say I go into a week where with my nine starts, it turns out that, you know, Wheeler, Woodruff, and Urias all have two starts. That's six. Minaya and Cobb each have a start. That's eight. And then Ian Anderson's got a great matchup. That's my nine. I don't need to play in the free agent pool. I'm very, very happy. I want the ability to block my opponent, right? I want my the ability to bid on some random guy who gets a Saturday or Sunday start with a decent matchup when I know that my opponent is struggling to fill their games. And I might grab that guy and cut him right away. It doesn't matter. But I want the the cap space. And I want the flexibility at the back end of my roster to do that. And the only way to do that is to have enough studs via trade, via free agency, via what you got in the auction, in your offense, that your offense is strong and you don't need a deep offensive bench. So that's how I think about building my playoff roster for a head-to-head auto new league. Our next question comes from at lovemyblondes. That's a that's quite a handle, although it sounds like it might be related to his family, not related to just a general proclivity. Regardless, we've got a handful of questions here from Love My Blondes. Wants to know first, best choice for saves rest of season, Yuan Duran, David Bednar, Anthony Bender, or Ryan Helsley? Man, this is a tough one. I think the answer has to be Bednar. And let's start with this. I think Giovanni Gallegos is still the closer in St. Louis. I think Helsley will get chances, but I don't think it's his job, and I don't think he has a real clear path to taking that job. I know he's been excellent. I know that he's been blowing people away, but 
you know, Gallegos, yeah, there's a 4.50 ERA, but he's got a 2.37 FIP. He's still avoiding walks. He hasn't given up a home run yet this year. His swinging strike rate looks fine. So the fact that his strikeouts per nine and his strikeout percentage are down is not, not really concerning me yet. I'm just, I think Gallegos is a perfectly acceptable closer. And I think the Cardinals would be smart to leave him there and continue to use Helsley where they need him. And I expect that they'll do that. I I could be wrong. I think the nice thing with Helsley is I would happily gamble on Helsley and just use him for rates, right? I mean, it's, it's, there's nothing wrong with having him if he's not getting saves. Sometimes that's not the case, right? And, And so, like, you can talk about Bender, and Bender's a guy who, like, he just hasn't been that impressive. And so if he's not getting saved, I'm not sure he's that valuable. So for me, I'm very happy to roster Helsley. It, it, to me, if he gets starts getting large numbers of saves, that is a that is a bonus. Count on holds. Count on great rates and strikeouts, um, at least for now. But don't count on, on saves. Bender has the job right now, but that's still in Floro's job. He's just... Bender's just a placeholder, and while I am not a huge fan of Floro and don't believe Floro is likely to keep that job, Bender hasn't been good. Like He's giving up too many home runs. He's not getting a ton of strikeouts, you know, fewer than he did last year. He was a 28.7% strikeout rate last year, 217 this year. Now, his barrel rate is way up, despite the fact that his exit velocity against is down, his hard hit rate is down. So maybe that barrel rate is going to start to correct back, right? Five barrels, like if it were four barrels or three barrels instead of five, we'd be talking something very different. As that starts to correct, maybe the home run per fly ball rate corrects. Maybe things start to come together. He pitches more like he did last year. And if he does, he can re-earn that job. But I expect that Floro is going to take it. I expect that Floro is going to lose it. And I don't know that Bender is going to be next. So I'm perfectly happy to move on from Bender right now. I think he'll be a free agent in most places before too long anyways, because Floro will come back and displace him. And then I'm watching, and if he starts to bring down that home run rate again, and watch that barrel rate too, then yeah, I'll buy back in and maybe he does become next in line. But right now I'm not even sure he's that. Yohan Duran, I just don't think the Twins are going to pigeonhole him into the closer role they like using him for multiple innings I don't think they've given up on him being a starter someday he's also had a real home run issue and he's gonna need to solve that before you want him installed as your closer right it's the last thing you want as a closer gives up a lot of home runs he is a super impressive pitcher I just don't think he's the closer Bednar is already sharing the job with Stratton and he's the better pitcher now whether this turns into sort of a Gallegos and Helsley situation where I, you know, like I said, I think Gallego should keep the job and they should keep using Helsley where they need him. That could happen. I don't think Stratton's as good as Gallego's. Now, he has been pretty good this year, mostly because the walk rate is super low. 3.8% walk rate. It's allowing to keep an FIP under two at 1.66. But he's got a 4.76 ERA. And I think at some point you're going to start having questions about, you know, is he just unlucky or is he struggling with something? I don't know how much I trust him to keep that walk rate that low. I mean, if you look at his career numbers, he has been up around or above 9% up to double digits in walk rate from his entire career. And so, you know, translating that to walks per nine, like you're talking about a guy who's walking four per nine for most of his career. Now it's 1.5 per nine. I'm, I'm dubious that this 11 inning sample is enough for us to say like he suddenly got an elite walk rate. 
maybe it's better than it's been historically, but I, I just, I don't buy it. And because of that, I think he's going to have problems. And because I think he's going to have problems, I think that this timeshare, which right now is, you know, 60-40 Stratton, 70-30 Stratton, I think it's going to flip. We'll see. I could be wrong. There's just nothing that I look at in his profile. Like his zone rate is still below his career zone rate. I just, there's nothing in here that makes me say like, yeah, this guy is suddenly going to not walk anybody and he needs to do that in order to maintain what he's been doing. I just don't see it. So because of that, I think if I were betting on saves for one of these guys, Duran, Bednar, Bender, or Helsley rest a year, I would bet on Bednar. I would just be keeping a, you know, they're all interesting. I would keep a close eye on them. And th- this is a case where, and it's always the case, once one of them gets the job, they're likely to keep it, right? And that's that's what happens with with good pitchers in, in the bullpen. If they get the closer role, they keep it. So if any of these guys has ever named the closer, if you ever hear a quote from the manager or anything like that saying, yeah, I think this is our guy, if they get two saves in a row, like something like that starts to get real interesting. Like if Helsley gets the next two Cardinals saves, then maybe it's too late to buy at that point. But like, yeah, that'd be interesting. Until then, though, I think Bednar is the best bet. Also wanted to know, is George Kirby legit? Uh, yeah, I think he is. I, I don't I don't I don't have a lot to say about that. Like I was fortunate enough to spend my mother's day uh, with my wife and kids at T-Mobile Park and got to see that debut yesterday. Yeah, it's uh, it, it was good. He was really good. There are, I guess I would say red flags. I don't know if red flags is the right word. Pink flags. What's, what, what is it? What is it? If a red flag is really bad, what's like a moderate flag? An orange flag? A yellow flag? Let's call it a yellow flag. There's some yellow flags. His fastball does get hit hard. He misses bats a lot, but he does give up some hard contact. Reminds me a little bit of, of Shane Bieber when Shane Bieber was throwing harder, where Bieber would miss a ton of bats, get a ton of strikeouts, but also give up a decent amount of hard contact. But he could manage that because his control was so good. And his control is that good, right? Kirby is is in, like Bieber in that he can pound the zone, he can hit his spots, and he was doing it yesterday. There's going to be some growing pains as there are for any rookie, but yes, I think I think Kirby's legit. I put in big bids on him where I could. I'm going to be I'm going to be using him pretty aggressively. I, I believe I, I'm a I'm a big believer in in George Kirby. Last question from Love My Blondes was, is the Margot breakout real? Is Margot, Manuel Margot, is it three home runs in the last three days? I was at two of those games. Really frustrating me that he was doing that. Uh, no, I don't think it's real. He's just a streaky guy. Uh, ride the hot streak. Like, I would pick him up. I would ride the hot streak. I would see see how long it lasts. But my guess is by, like, late May, maybe, he's going to be getting dropped a lot of places because he's going to come back to Earth. So... Ride the hot streak while you can, and if I'm wrong, hey, if you're riding the hot streak, maybe it lasts for the season. Who knows? But I, I, I don't. Right now, I don't think it's legit. I don't see enough to to back it up to really feel strongly that you're you're buying a long term piece here, right? He's not a guy that in keeper leagues. I'm like, yeah, get him now because you'll be able to keep him cheap next year. But ride the hot streak while you can ride the hot streak, and then, you know, let's reevaluate in a few weeks and and see if we if I still feel that way. Last question from. At Matt underscore Choman wants to know Christian Walker, Paven Smith, or Juan Yepes for Fangraphs points. Boy, this is a this is a sort of depends on what you need kind of thing. The, the big thing that stands out here is that one of these guys is an outfielder, and the other two are not. Um, and so 
that that gives Paven Smith a a a big advantage, right? It is much more valuable to be an outfielder, especially in a format where you're carrying where you're starting five outfielders than it is to be a first baseman. And Walker, who did play some outfield once upon a time, one major league game, nine innings in left field in 2018, hasn't seen the outfield since then, hasn't seen the outfield this year. He's not going to see the outfield most likely. He's just a first baseman. Um, And because of that, I, I like Smith more than I like Walker. Not to mention the fact that Paven Smith ha- has just been better so far this year. Uh, and there's some stuff in, in Smith's profile. Like, you know, he, he carried high walk rates in the minors. Last year, it was down to 7.7%. It's back up to 12.8% this year. His strikeout rate at 24.5% is actually inflated. And given where he's been in his career. And so I think that there's a good chance that that will come down. His chase rate is down. Um, his contact rate is also down, which is a little concerning, but his swing strike rate is still not sort of problematic. So I, I think he could actually bring that strikeout rate down. If he can keep the walk rate up, we'll keep bring, bring the strikeout rate down and continue to hit the ball harder, right? Right now he is barreling the ball an absurd 17.2% of the time. I don't think that's going to continue, but he is topping into hard contact more often. And so maybe it could. Uh, and so because of that, I think he is more interesting to me than Walker. I think there, there's some some real upside with Paven Smith, and I've been adding him, and I'll keep adding him. Yepes, I think, is the best of these three long-term. I don't know how long he remains regularly in the Cardinals lineup this year. He's hitting right now, and as long as he's hitting, he probably stays in there, but it's a crowded lineup, and... and so I think the question for Yepes is how long does he stay in the lineup, and, and what is what is his role He's obviously not going to take over first base, which is his most natural position, but Goldschmidt is there. He's made two starts in the outfield. If you could tell me he was going to get that outfield eligibility, which it looks like he might, and that he was going to stay in the lineup, then I like him more than Paven Smith. Right? He, he becomes my first choice of these three. I'm just not as confident in that right now. And so, I don't know. I'm going back and forth on this right now. I think the reality is I'd be picking up Smith and Yepes. Walker... First baseman, I just don't think he's a good enough offensive first baseman to matter. I think there will be other good first baseman if you need one. I just, I'm just not concerned about him. I think, man, I think I would go out and get Yepes and Smith if I could. And if I can only get one of them, but I have to choose between them. Let's make the upside play with Yepes. Let's, let's say Yepes as the first choice. The upside's bigger. It's riskier. And you do, because of that risk, you do run the risk that you, you know, get very little from him. If he struggles and gets sent back down, if he doesn't struggle but ends up in more of a timeshare. But right now, I mean, the Cardinals need offense and he's providing it. So, yeah, let's say Yepes. Go get Yepes. Get Paven Smith too. Keep them both in your lineup. You'll be happy. So, with that, thanks for listening. Again, apologies for being stuck with just me. Pete will be back next week. Hope you enjoyed it and hope it was helpful anyways. Go check your leagues now to see if Andrew Vaughn was dropped. like he was in those ESPN leagues, and you can go get him. Go pick up Paven Smith. Go pick up Juan Yepes, and we'll talk to you next week.